What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is Brendan Hodges' interview with the editor for The Last of Us, Timothy A. Good. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family. I'm not family. No. Your cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a monster. If she so much as twitches, <coughs> don't. <coughs> okay. If I'm taking you with me, you do what I say when I say it. You got any advice on the best way west? Yeah, go east. If you come this far, then you know it's out there. You're not gonna scare us. You scared him? You have a greater purpose than any of us could have ever imagined. Careful who you put your faith in. It might not be her father, but your son's. You trust me. All right, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, my first question is that looking over your CV, I noticed that you worked on a lot of science fiction shows, um, like Fringe, for example, which is an old favorite of mine. Yes. Um, very good, kind of underrated. And I noticed that there's a, kind of a dynamic in a lot of these shows that balance sets, location work, and visual effects, mm-hmm. right? And I'm wondering, of those projects, what did you learn that helped you prepare the most for working on a massive budget, visual effects heavy, big sets show like The Last of Us? That's a really good question. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, Fringe was this incredible experience in visual effects. I'd, I'd, I'd worked with something big previous to that, but this was the, the one I spent the most time on. And the visual effects supervisor there is a guy named Jay Worth. And he was just such an incredible, um, wonderful visual thinker. Um, he also lived in Oak Park, Illinois. 
uh, weirdly <laughs> enough, uh, or was from there for a bit. And so working with that team and, and with the showrunners, the world was never what you wanted it. It was, it was never what they filmed. It was what we wanted it to be. So I learned that you could do so much. You could change the way someone came into a door. If they wanted it on the, oh, that's the wrong side. We're going to move it to this side. Can we do that? We're going to do that. Oh, we're, we're going to freeze the eyes of a character and put them off sync. It's <laughs> to be different. And I was like, this is just completely eye-opening to see like just what you can do. So from that perspective, for Last of Us, I felt very, very uh, well prepared based on my experience with Fringe and you know everything I do. I always like to try and think, you know, what are they what are they trying to accomplish from a story perspective with these visual effects? Sure. And how early into the process are you trying to lock in and edit with visual effects coming in and everything? Oh, that's also uh, that's fascinating. We tr- it sort of depends on the complexity of the effects. I mean, on Last of Us, we had this amazing uh, VFX team uh, led by Alex Wong. Um, and, and so he and his producer, Sean Nolan, they sort of would tell us, you know, hey, we need this sequence a little earlier because it's going to take X amount of time to do it. And this one, though, we don't have to worry about that. So those can stay till later. And so we had a really great sort of pipeline as to what had to go first and what could sort of be pushed a little bit further aside. And and kind of the trick with visual effects, you don't want to spend money on things that you're not going to use. So they would try and wait as long as possible in, in the process so that, you know, Craig Mason would be happy with the cut as it was. Uh, so we don't run off spending money on things that he's like, yeah, you know, I decided I don't want to do this. So, and it's like, oh, we just spent a hundred thousand dollars on that. That's not good. <laughs> sure. So that's sort of the way that uh, we approached it. Uh, but yeah, there were certain sequences that they literally said, we're not going to have this back for months. So we really have to front load these, make sure everyone's happy with it, and then just sit on it for a bit. And it doesn't mean that we didn't make changes at the at the last second with editorial. We're like, we get them back and we're like, oh, uh, well, should we do this or should we do that? Well, we can probably do this. This won't cost that much. This is like, they can do this, they can do that. Um, but in general, that was the procedure. Okay, that is fascinating. That makes sense. So another thing about The Last of Us as a TV show that's super interesting to me is that there's choices made that are different from the game, right? In the course of adaptation that will happen. And one of the big changes is that the use of action and horror is much less frequent. So I was wondering, I imagine a lot of this originated at the scripting stage of the show. But walk me through what your role was in balancing the action, suspense, horror sequences within the scope of this very character-driven kind of apocalyptic drama. Yeah, you know, and everything sort of stems from Craig's screenplays um, because they're just tremendously rich and they have a lot of description as to what he's going for. And kind of his whole conceit was it's it's only scary if you see it from the characters you care about's perspective. It's not about like being in a, in some sort of objective shot where we're looking at an explosion happening from some sort of God's eye perspective. It always was about putting the camera where the characters were and, and letting the action and the, the horror moments happen from their point of view. And so for uh, there's a specific example in the most one of the recent episodes where there was a snipe or there was a, an attack. They had to they, they crash into a laundromat. And one of the bad the bad dudes is coming in and Ellie's hiding behind a wall. 
And instead of seeing, every, and they filmed this, they filmed, because they film everything. It's it's right. smart to film everything, to have options. So they filmed the guy coming in and with the camera, they filmed behind him. They filmed Joel sort of watching. And it was really important to Craig. He said, but I don't care about any of that. I want it from Ellie's perspective. And so I took that sort of directive and said, okay, I'm going to find all of the pieces of film that are her. And I'm staying with her in, in the entire beat where she's terrified that this guy is going to catch her. And then we don't even know who's been shot until we reveal it. So it was really about sort of grounding everything from the character's perspective, uh, which made, I, uh, I I think, the horror work as well as it does in the pilot episode. We see what Sarah sees when the infected person is chasing them in the diner. You know, we're never like with, you know, the, the that character independently. It's always how that character relates to the to our main characters. Uh, Timothy, that's so fascinating, specifically because that was literally one of my next questions to ask oh, about yeah. that specific scene. Because cool. one thing I thought was super interesting is that unlike maybe something along the lines of Fringe or the Umbrella Academy, both shows almost have an ensemble feel to them in terms of who they focus on and when. The Last of Us is kind of a two-hander yes. between these two lead characters so I was going to ask you what the process was in editorial about finding which of the two to focus on when. And I was going to bring up that scene in episode four because it's so interesting that, oh, we kind of start in Joel's perspective yep. and then it cuts and we follow Ellie's perspective right after when she goes, as you pointed out, behind that wall. Walk mm -hmm. me through the process of how you decide those types of things, not just in episode four, but all the episodes you worked on because it's such a fine balance. Yeah, no, and, and you're right. It's every, in my opinion, the way I work in an editing is I always think about whose perspective I'm in at any given moment. So every shot is I am in X person's perspective. I am in Y person's perspective uh, in, in this frame. Um, so every time I'm going to step away from that perspective, I have to not necessarily go immediately to the other person, but maybe to bridge it with maybe a wider frame that's a little bit more objective. It contains everyone in, in the frame, but then I will hinge to the other character. Um, so from from my, I, I don't like to necessarily go from one person's POV directly to the other person's POV because it feels almost shocking. And, you know, going from a close-up to a close-up of another person is maybe not the greatest way to do it. It doesn't mean that I don't do that sometimes. There are certain circumstances uh, where you would do that. But that in general is how I would shift perspectives. And and as an editor, like I have to think about the character's feelings at all times. Uh, and and Craig is great in the editing room with saying, you know, in this section, I, I, I see you have it, you know, sort of back and forth between them. But what if you did it from just her perspective, then he'll he'll go away and let me do it, as opposed to tell me exactly how to do it. He'll say, just think about this. And then he'll go away, come back and say, ah, there we go. Now make this, this and this and this change. Um, but for me, it's about who is the person who is in the most jeopardy at the at the given moment? Who is the person I want the audience to feel closest to at any given moment? And so a lot of times it was a balance between Joel. So when, you know, the, 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 the one guy, the kid comes in, I had to be with Joel for all that. But then as soon as it happens, I had to switch to Ellie's perspective because, of course, she's going to hear it. And then now I have to see, like, you know, she can't see it yet. So she we have to sort of hinge with both of them and then when she comes out i wanted uh you know basically to follow the the the, the blueprint of how jeremy webb the director and craig had uh, and craig mason had written it which was to not see anything else except for what ellie sees 
So she's walking up behind these people, and we don't really get to see anything else. But uh, she sees, save for one moment where it was a great piece of Pedro where he's being strangled. And it was at that moment where you feel like he's actually going to die. So it created the, you know, the threat of what's about to happen. Um, and that's how we designed that sequence in editorial to make sure that we were focusing on Ellie's perspective. And interestingly enough, one of the, my more, normally I don't do a punch in edit to any, but any character in general, I usually try and go back and forth between characters. But in that moment, Craig and I had discussed, like, wouldn't it be great if you see the gun fire? And they were using a, a real prop gun that had a, a half load in it or a quarter load, maybe. Yeah. Because, you know, they, you know, and, and Bella was totally on board with this. She really wanted to feel what it felt like to fire that, uh, to fire that weapon. But then there's a shocking sort of punch into a closer shot to really get uh, the emotion of what she's done. And then every moment from that point is sort of this semi-balance, mostly with her because she now has to uh, deal with the consequences of her action. So everything is sort of hinged from her perspective. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, that, that does make sense. And that actually goes right into my next question in terms of how to balance these elements. Because uh, one of the common kind of axioms of editing is that information is the enemy of emotion. Mm. And one thing The Last of Us does really, really well, I think, is keep it centered on those characters, like you were saying, even while you're doing things like world building, setting yes. up stakes, teeing up plot points for later. And obviously, some of that comes back to the script. But how did you finesse that? Because I bet that they shot more of those elements than you used at times. And it was all about finding the right balance of all of those things. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. It's it's a uh... Because it's it, a lot of it, and I, I I have to throw credit back to the directors and to Craig in this because they would does they would say we don't want to shoot pieces that feel like they're not grounded. So it's like any time there was a crane, it's like whoa, whoa why are we putting a crane anywhere? So <laughs> unless there's a reason for it, unless there's a character based reason for it, because it's the idea of it being this grounded show and. Uh, and and their their decision early on to keep it mostly handheld, except for very very specific moments where they were like, all right, in this specific instance, we don't we're not going to be because we want to step back just for one beat. Uh, the end of the pilot is a good example of that. There's the crane shot up that sees all the characters in the in 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 the the distance running away from the the quarantine zone, and that was important because we you know for character basis that they're entering this completely unknown and destroyed world. So in order to really see that as, as almost like a tease for the next episode, they decided to do it in that big crane shot. That doesn't mean that in the next episode, they didn't completely use that exact opposite process. So when Ellie comes out for the first time and is looking up at all the buildings, it's all from her point of view. And so all of those buildings during the daytime that you saw at night are now suddenly all directly from her perspective. Right. So it's keeping the kind of world building of seeing the wreckage 
of the town grounded through the character POV. That that makes sense. Yeah. Another thing that is really interesting, I think, about The Last of Us that caught players of the game by surprise is that the game is for a video game, an action game, relatively slow paced. But mm-hmm. this show has the pacing of a prestige drama, not what you'd normally think of as a quote unquote zombie show, which is yeah, a bit reductive right. to say, right? So right. How, how much of that was finding that right balance for pacing in the edit? I imagine that was a really important thing to nail down. How much can we strip away to keep it? Because a lot of the show is kind of like Lord of the Rings. It's mostly just people walking and talking. <laughs> right. right. So how did you find that? Well, it's it's a it's and here's where I'll, I will say that one of the sort of was it was a risky tactic on my part to do was I actually have never played the game. Oh, OK, I still to this point have not played the game. Um, and it's not because I didn't really necessarily want to not play the game at first, but it's because I got the job very late. And so it was really no time for me to prepare that. And so mm-hmm. I said to myself, well, don't do it don't do it. And maybe it'll be better because then I'm going to approach the material in a way that doesn't have any sort of additional, uh, I I haven't seen it. So I don't know what it is. So I'm going to create it based on the material that's in front of me. And the best part is that I have my assistant editor, who's become my co-editor for the back half of the season, Emily Mendez, was obsessed with the game. She loves the game. She is a she's played it like so many times and would basically was my first audience for every scene. And so she would tell me when I was looking like the game and and when I wasn't. And she would just sort of note it and say, oh, you're behind the character now. That's very much like the game. And I go, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I didn't know that. So I sort of learned a little bit about the gameplay through her. And then, you know, Craig Mazin would also sort of nudge me here and there. It's like, oh, yeah, I I see how you did this um, because you probably don't know. But this is a really important shot from the game that I kind of want to replicate. But he didn't do that all that often, um, which is why I feel like in many cases we got this sort of fresh pacing perspective that was based on the performances on the day versus trying to sort of puzzle piece it into how it felt in the game. I'll give you an example. Um, I recently was able to play a little bit of the game and saw um, the scene where Ellie and Joel are fighting in the very beginning of the the pilot in, in his apartment. And she's like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, well, you'll figure that out. And in the game, I noticed that there was a lot of pauses between each dialogue line. So there was they were, they were saying their line, pausing, saying their line, pausing. And I never did any of that. I felt that it was important for them to be overlapping each other and feeling more naturalistic. Um, and so when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, if I would have seen that, I might have done this in a totally different way. So in a, in a way, I feel like that's one of the reasons why the pace may seem like it's a little bit uh, different from the game. And Sometimes it, it it kind of will match in and it will sort of, you know, we both come to similar decisions at the, uh, at similar times, which is kind of a, a weird inception kind of deal. Yeah. And uh, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And I, I think that the balance of old and new in terms of the adaptation is one of the strengths of the show. And I do want to ask you, episode five has yeah. a massive set piece. That is kind of the big crescendo of the season so far. It's so good. It's so epic. Visually, it's incredible. How fun was that to edit? What were the challenges in editing that sequence? Walk me through it. Sure. I mean, the the, the great part about editing that sequence was, well, they filmed it over three weeks. 
And so, and, and in the end, I believe it's like maybe four minutes, maybe five minutes, um, which is d- so daunting because every night they would be filming nights, which is also terrifying for uh, everyone. But for me, it was about sort of curating every tiny beat I could find. I would, you know, they had four cameras out there, so they were always rolling and picking things up. So it gave me the time to watch every piece of film and to create reels of select material. And then I would make another another reel that I'd say, well, these are the even better bits of the same thing. And if, if I had to cut out, you know, another one, I would cut out this one. So I had all of these pieces in mind, sort of cornerstones of the sequence, as it were. Um, but then, you know, putting it together, I didn't necessarily, and I, and I will be perfectly honest here, I didn't really have a shape in mind um, based, you know, the script was very specific, um, but at the same time, there was so much happening that the shape of it was not uh, uh, as, as well defined as, as it could have been. So when Craig Mazin came, he says, all right, it's going to be great. Here's the problem. You're not doing it from the character's perspectives, which mm-hmm. again, Right. It comes back to that. Yeah. It comes back to that. And so we kind of redesigned uh, all of it. Uh, but I had all the, the general pieces correct. And he just said, listen, let's try and do a version. And again, he was uh, generous enough to say, go back. I'm going to walk out of here. And I want you to sort of figure out how this makes sense from Joel's perspective. And Joel is going to do nothing but go, uh, but protect Ellie. Right. And just take that as an idea. Uh, and so that became the way that the, the actual material started to, sh- to take shape. And so a lot of things just got sort of filtered out because I was like, well, this isn't necessary for it anymore because this isn't about their relationship. This isn't about, you know, the jeopardy that she's in versus the jeopardy he feels that she's in. So that's how the uh, sort of that sequence took shape over time. And it was a ton of fun to have these little interspersed inter, you know, things where, you know, for example, Perry. Uh, dear Perry gets uh, meets his end uh, with the bloater. Um, <laughs> it's just you know there was so much of great, interesting material to work with with all of them. Uh, but it was really about just paring it down to the emotions of the character within it. So the horror is experienced like we discussed earlier from their point of view, um, and everything that happens is like designed from that point of view. And and then as Perry is being torn apart, you know the character of Kathleen is in the foreground running away. So it's as opposed to being right up close, you know, and seeing him being ripped apart would be like, you know, a little bit too violent. Right. Instead, they decided to stage the violence in such a way that it's like backgrounded and, it, right. and the character is foregrounded. So that's sure. the kind of thing that made it a lot of fun is because a lot of thought went into these shots. And so when I got uh, a chance to play with it, it was just it was just nice. You get great pieces of film to work with. You can't ask for more. Yeah, it, it's an incredible sequence. Uh, we're running out of time. So I do have one quick last <laughs> question for you. So I don't know if you've seen HBO's The Leftovers, but uh, The Last of Us, one of the more interesting things the show is doing is it almost is following some of the stylistic editing and structural ideas of The Leftovers. It has a more mosaic structure, yeah, which is very interesting. So I'm wondering, when you're sitting down to edit an episode or a cold open, um, etc., how much are you paying attention to the editing of an episode as a self-contained thing versus how it fits into the broader shape of a season that's really a combination of a lot of little pieces. Oh, that's a good question. I, I haven't seen The Leftovers, which is 
I know it's insane. I, I <laughs> big problem for me. Um, I, I, and there's a lot of people I know who've worked on it. So I, I am, I'm, 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 I'm in bad shape right now. But <laughs> um, in terms of just building, I rely very heavily on Craig Mason to sort of know what the shape of of the season is. So I will do the microscopic work of a scene, for example, first, like a cold open. I like the cold open of the pilot, for example. I, I built that knowing that the structure of that was it's it's fast and it's sort of furious until it's not. And as soon as it's not, and as soon as it reveals that, oh, we're actually in big trouble, that's when it was the time to slow down the scene. And that was the time when all of the coverage was now going to be in these really tight singles. So we were saving these for that very moment. They were great performances all the way through in the singles. And what are you supposed to do when you have these beautiful faces <laughs> that right in your right there? You just have to be sort of vigilant and, and rigorous and and saving them for the moment where they mean the most. Um, and so me putting them together, I come up with the first draft, uh, which is pretty close. And then Craig will come in and say, "Okay, that's cool. Here's what you know. I don't like this. I don't like that." Um, and then he'll just adjust things to his liking, and then he'll he'll know how it fits into the overall arc. I will build an episode again, the full thing, without any knowledge of how it fits into the overall arc. Mm -hmm. And then he will then come in and, and and give those wise adjustments to each episode uh, and allow me the sort of the artistic space to sort of do those things for him. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I love how closely you and Craig work together to f finesse the show into the terrific shape that it's in. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Your answers, I think, will be incredibly valuable to people not just interested in The Last of Us, but might be interested in the art of editing in general. Again, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brendan. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Brendan and Hodges' interview with the editor for HBO's The Last of Us, Timothy A. Good, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Last of Us is available to stream on HBO Max and is up for your consideration this Emmy Award season. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.